Hello, folks, and welcome back to the On Being Christian podcast. My name's Nolan Ruby. I am your host. I'm also the pastor of Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. The On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of Wasatch Front Baptist Church, and this is podcast number four. I'm wonderful to see you again, or wonderful to be with you again. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving day or Thanksgiving weekend. I know my wife and I certainly did. We had the pleasure of traveling over to spend some time with some dear friends out in Nevada, um, and just a, a wonderful time of relaxation, some great food, some great fellowship. I did learn something about myself over the course of that Thanksgiving Day celebration. The family that we went to visit um, has a customary, traditional, after-Thanksgiving Day football game, after-Thanksgiving meal football game. And um, now you should know about me, something about me. I really enjoyed football when I was a kid. Uh, I played football all the way kind of coming up, even into the Marine Corps in different games and leagues. Uh, when I was younger, I played D-line. And then when I was a little older, I played quarterback, and it was something I really enjoyed. And so when I found out that there was going to be a football game, which we, you know, in essence, were going to play with our, our kids, uh, I was pretty excited. Here's what I learned about myself, though, over the course of that football game. There's only one of two things that could have happened that allowed me to come to this point of realization. Number one, kids have become a lot faster than the kids that I grew up with. Or number two, somewhere along the line, and I'm not sure where, I, I think I might have lost a step. I realized that when I was chasing my daughter and she outran me. So <clears throat> those are the things I guess you have to live with in life, those little realizations that cause you to do a little wake-up call. Anyway, I wanted to share some thoughts with you today. There were some conversations that came up over the week uh, concerning righteousness and the subject of righteousness as it applies to Christianity, as it applies to people. And there's a couple of verses that came to mind directly when that word righteousness comes up. The first one's found in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, which just simply says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so with that understanding of righteousness, we are, we are to realize that among those born of men, there are none within the power, or none who have the power within themselves to produce righteousness. It's outside of us. But the Bible also says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, if we know that he is righteous, we know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. In other words, it is possible for us to have righteousness, a life of righteousness, a life capable of producing righteousness, but only after being born again according to that verse, only after being born in God, after, after accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ made possible by the grace of God. That's the only way for us to have righteousness. Now, with all of that said, the thought that occurred to me was, all right, what is righteousness? And the, one of the easiest ways to tell about what something is, or to get a good understanding about a concept or an idea or a thing, is to see what it's used for or to take a look at what it produces. 
And so I, I looked around, and there's quite a lot on this subject, but what I was specifically looking for was uh, what does the Bible say about what the effect in a human life will be when that human life is exercising through the grace of God and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ righteousness? What are some of the things that I can look for, some of the uh, giveaways, the the, the uh, monikers, if you will, that say, all right, this is someone whose actions are being governed by something or someone other than just himself, his flesh, this fallen world. That took me to Isaiah chapter 32. I just want to share two verses with you, and then we'll look at some of these things. Isaiah chapter 32, starting in verse 17 down through verse 18, the Bible says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. So just, again, two verses that talks about what effect righteousness will have in a human life. Also, what effect righteousness produces in and around the life of someone who has devoted their decisions to the doctrine of the Word of God and, and the cause of Christ. If, if I draw your attention to verse 17, it starts off by saying, and the work of righteousness shall be. And so in other words, we understand that whatever is going to be said next is a direct result of righteousness being applied to a situation. It's the work of righteousness. Righteousness is not a concept that can be claimed apart from uh, the effect that it has in someone's life. One plus one is still two, and the life that is lived by the righteousness of God is still going to produce things that human life or human decisions void of God cannot produce. And so if you are really honest with yourself, and I've said before on this podcast, and I tell the people here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church often, that the, one of the most or the most difficult person in the world to be honest with is yourself. And so if I can really make myself vulnerable to the doctrine of the Word of God, to God himself, and ask myself, read what the Bible says about righteousness, and then take a look at my own life and see if those things, if my life is producing the things the Bible says will be produced by a life that is righteous, I can get a real very uh, pertinent and particular and appropriate understanding of who I am and what might need to change. And so if I, if I take a look at that verse, Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17, it says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. Peace is the very first word. Peace. Righteousness produces peace. It's, a, it's, it's like a mathematical formula. We're moving up on Christmas here, and the idea of peace to the world is a popular one. We put it on little Christmas ornaments, and we hang it on our trees, and we put it in our yard on signs and shine it on our homes. But too often, I believe, we want the results of righteousness without a life that's given over to the one who is the author of righteousness. 
Now, remember, this podcast is about reminding us that Christianity is not simply a title I claim with no responsibility. Christianity is best understood by the life that I lived, or excuse me, the life that I choose to live, not the title that I choose to portray. And righteousness is one of those things that the human life, void of God, um, cannot claim. Whether we say it or whether we uh, verbalize it, it really doesn't mean very much in comparison to what our life is producing. And if our life is not producing peace, then somewhere along the line I know that there is something other than righteousness at work in my life. And so the work of righteousness shall be peace. Peace here is a word that means a safe, happy, and friendly, a well or holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, a holy, restful existence. Totally restful within your own self. I don't know if you have places like this within your childhood, but there are places within my childhood, physical homes, that I really loved going to because it was a home that was always at peace. Not to say one thing or the other about my my home. My mother was wonderful, and uh, she did everything she could towards this direction. Um, but she was kind of up against a, a, a pretty good fight. Um, nonetheless, the, my example is specifically to draw your attention to places within your own past where there was peace. And it was attractive to you. It was uh, a comfort to you. That's exactly what the Bible says the Lord wants us to be in this world. But before we can be a comfort to other people, before we can attract people to the cause of Christ, our life must first reflect the truth and the comfort of peace. And peace is a product of righteousness. The Bible says, and the work of righteousness shall be. In other words, the result of righteousness having its effect will be peace. It goes on to say this. It says, um, and the effect of righteousness. So now that we know the work of righteousness, now it says the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever quietness and assurance. So the work of righteousness is peace, and the effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance. That word quietness is a word that means to repose or to appease, to settle and be still. To settle and be still. I don't know that I would define the world that you and I live in, folks, as a settled, still place. In fact, I think that I might define it in exactly the opposite terms. It's not a very quiet place at all. It's very loud. It's very loud. It's very confusing. It's uh, very generating of fear. There's not a lot of quietness. That's because there's not a lot of righteousness, because the effect of righteousness is, number one, quietness. Number two, assurance forever. Assurance forever. The word assurance here is a word that means a place of refuge, confidence, and security. A place, a place of refuge, confidence, and security. This is one of the effects of righteousness uh, 
having its work in our life. And I don't think that I'm telling you anything that you don't know by saying that the society that you and I have been called to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in is not an assured society. It's a very confused society. It's a very scared society. It's a society that believes that through subjective desire they can dismiss objective reality, which produces so much confusion and so much um, unsatisfied uh, habits and mindsets that um, it really creates quite a lot of chaos. Why? Because righteousness is not at work. And so there is no peace, regardless of how much we scream it from the mountaintops. Peace, peace. In fact, there's a Bible verse in Isaiah that says this is what people were saying. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Why is there no peace? Because you can't have peace without the author of peace, the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our lives are not able to produce peace without the truths of the Bible. Thus, when we reject the God of peace, we should not be surprised when we also reject peace. So the work of righteousness is peace. The effect of righteousness is that quietness and that assurance, which we all desire so very much and get so little of. I don't know if you are a mom or a dad, but having raised some children, there was always that time in the middle of the night when they would get up and there was something a matter, whether it was something that was actually a matter or whether it was just their opinion about something not being right, uh, didn't really matter. They were going to scream and let you know that they were up and that you were going to either sit there and try to cover your head with your pillow and let them work it out of their system, which sometimes might be the right thing to do, or you were going to get in there, you were going to get up and go into that bedroom or that nursery or wherever they were laying, and you were going to try to bring some assurance and quietness to the situation. I remember one of my children just loved being wrapped up, and they would work themselves out of their wrap, you know, in the middle of the night, and man, they could throw a fit with the best of them. And sometimes all it took was myself or my wife to go in there, lay them in the middle of one of those little blankets, and then wrap them up in that blanket to where their arms were still and their legs were still. We would lay them down and in that kind of restricted place they felt very secure, they felt very assured, and they'd go right back to sleep. No problem. I think sometimes humanity, men in this fallen world, we have kind of a perverted sense of liberty and freedom. We like to think that we would be more happy if we absolutely could do whatever we wanted to do whenever we wanted to do it. No restrictions and no one to answer to. When in reality, that's the definition of, of chaos. It's the definition of utter discontentment with everything. It's the opposite of quietness and assurance. Folks, quietness and assurance is a product of correctly submitting yourself to an authority over your life, and not an authority that is unable to produce 
righteousness and quietness and peace, but an authority that is able, through righteousness, to produce peace and quietness and assurance. There is only one. His name is Jesus Christ, and a life lived according to his promises and his commands and the things that he showed us how to do in his own life is the only possible way. That is the only life that, that is possibly able to produce righteousness. Because as Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not one. It goes on here in verse 18 of Isaiah chapter 32, and it says, And my people shall dwell in peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. And so the first thing that we looked at from chapter seven, excuse me, chapter 32, verse 17, was the work and the effect of righteousness, the work of righteousness being peace, and the effect of righteousness being quietness and assurance. And then it says, my people, in other words, people who live by the dictates of the Word of God, people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, have three things that righteousness produces concerning their immediate surroundings. The Bible uses the word dwell. It says, my people shall dwell in, and it gives three things, peaceable habitations, sure dwellings, and quiet resting places. Quiet resting places. Habitations, that's that place that you occupy, even if that's just sometimes your own mind. The Bible says that righteousness will produce in God's people a peaceable habitation, a place that is unmolested, if you will, unturned over, un, unflipped. It's just quiet. It's, it's still, it's, it's peaceable. It's a happy, calm place, first within your own self, Secondarily, a person who's at peace can produce peace in an, uh, the environments around them. He goes on to say the second type of dwelling is a sure dwelling place, sure being that word for unmovable. It's guaranteed. Folks, uh, there's not much in this life that is guaranteed. Not much at all, in fact. But the Bible says that one of the products of righteousness is the production of a dwelling place that is sure, a dwelling place that is solid. Again, sometimes we like to look at this and define this in terms that makes sense to us, and so we'll make this about a physical place. But that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We're talking about that assurance of the hope that lies within us, the fact that I am going to have a home with my Heavenly Father, and that will last forever. It's a sure thing. It's as good as done. <clears throat> One of the things that makes things like this hard for us to understand is um, kind of the concept concerning how we view things. We're very three-dimensional creatures. We, we judge everything in time, space, and matter. In other words, it's going to take you a certain amount of time to move your physical matter between one place or space and the other. And so everything that we think about is 
guided by that concept. It's going to take me, matter, time, in other words, one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever you want to measure time with, it's going to take me time to move, to physically move from one place to the other. That's time, space, and matter. That's how we think. But the Bible says that's not exactly, <laughs> that's a created thing. You and I are creatures of the Creator, as is time, space, and matter. Our Creator, our Heavenly Father, He lives outside of that. And the sure dwellings that He's talking about have nothing to do with the time, space, and matter of this temporary world. We're talking about our eternal destination, our soul, our home in heaven with Him, made possible, again, by His grace and by the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. Sure dwellings. Sure dwellings. What a blessing. And then the last one that he says there in verse 18, he says, dwell in peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Quiet resting places. My grandfather told me one time a story about being in the Antarctic. I think it was See now, and I don't remember. It was either it might have been in the it might have been in the kind of frontier lands of Alaska. Him and his wife had taken a cruise, and he had gotten off the ship at some point way out away from all civilization, and the ship had kind of gone out to sea, and they were going to come pick him up. And he said that he got out there so far all by himself that the quietness was almost physically heavy. There were no planes, jets going over his head. There were no hum from lights or electricity or power lines. There was no underground plumbing or fixtures or things moving matter. It was just... His own head, ice, snow, and the clear blue sky. And he said the stillness almost hurt. The quietness, it filled him. It ran through him. It calmed him. And at the same time, almost was a little bit unnerving. And when I think of that story, I think of this word, this quiet resting place. Again, we live in a world that's not known for being quiet or being restful. We've attached ourselves to so many different devices that allow us to stay connected to so many different things, and I'm not sure why. We seem to care more about what people we don't know and will never meet care about us or think about us than we do the people that God's put directly in our circles. I use this example a lot. If you've ever heard of the term, the circles of influence, if you picture with me, just in your mind, if you will, a target, like a dartboard. And I want to show you something here. The very center of that target is you. And you can label that in this little picture that you're painting in your head. The very center is you. All right? The very next circle or the closest circle to you, this would be your spouse or your children or your parents, your immediate family. 
All right. And then as you go out, the next circle would be uh, relatives, um, maybe your church family, uh, work family, people that other than your immediate family occupy most of your physical time in your day. As it goes out, you have things like your community, your city, uh, your state, different responsibilities that you hold in those things. It pushes out to your county and then obviously uh, to maybe your quadrant, north, south, east, west, and then your state and then your, you know, your country. And you see how these circles, the bigger the circle gets, the farther away from you it gets, the less ability you have to influence those outer circles. I think sometimes we sacrifice this quiet resting place within our own lives because we spend so much time focusing on the furthest circles from us. Those are the circles that we like to talk about. Those are the circles that we like to complain about. But yet those are the circles that we, in all reality, can't do a thing about. All the time... The circles of influence that are closest to us, spouse, mom, dad, parents, kids, they go ignored. They go undealt with, even though those are the things that we could most readily affect in our lives. That's because righteousness is not working. Righteousness is not working. Folks, sometimes it might be a good thing for you to think about just kind of clicking out of the grid for a few days. Lose your phone, leave your computer at the desk, and grab someone that means a whole lot to you and disappear out somewhere and just reset. As I'm giving this podcast, I'm looking out my office window at the Wasatch Mountains. And one of the things growing up in South Dakota, the Great Plains of the country, one of the things that I most have enjoyed about uh, Utah is these mountains. If I get up early enough, I can be two peaks back by noon. And uh, cell phones don't work, and nobody's really going to find me. And I can reset, take a rifle out with me, set a target up, or do whatever I need to do. I uh, very much enjoy coffee, and so I'll usually bring some method for me to make a nice, fresh, hot cup of coffee out in the Wasatch. And I'm telling you, it's really been very good. I don't think we do that enough. I think we put too little of a price tag on that mental, moral fortitude that separates us from all the notifications and connection points in life. So much of that, folks, if I could encourage you at all. It's just not worth it. Why? Because it's a product of something other than righteousness. And there's two identical verses, as I, I think I've probably said before in the book of Proverbs, that say there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so, righteousness, what is it? Well, the Bible says that the work of it is peace, and that the effect of it is quietness, and assurance forever. And when this peace and this quiet assurance works itself through our life, it'll produce a dwelling place that is defined in three ways by the Word of God. 
It'll produce a dwelling place of a peaceable habitation. It'll produce a dwelling place, or in other words, it just it uses the word sure, sure a sure dwelling, and it'll produce a quiet resting place. Now, these things all sound wonderful to me. Quiet, restful assurance. That's the product of righteousness. The product of the world that you and I live in is noise, chaos, and lies most all the time. It's okay, folks, to cut yourself off from those things which aren't righteous and to personally, specifically, choose the only one who is righteous and let his righteousness have its perfect work in your life. A couple of verses on this that come to mind, one is found in uh, Psalm, Psalm 119. Psalm's a wonderful book. It, um, it It's one of the poetic books of the Bible, and um, often I go to Psalm for, or I go to the Psalms for encouragement. Psalm 119, verse 165 says this, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. <laughs> nothing shall offend them. That is exactly the opposite of the world that we live in. Everything offends everybody. Folks, one of the examples I'd like to share with you on this, I grew up, like I said, in South Dakota. Um, my mother was from Mississippi, and she just kind of, she wasn't a stickler about it. Well, I guess she was, just in her own way, about properly using the moniker sir and ma'am when addressing people. And so that's just how I grew up. And of course, I joined the Marine Corps after that. And um, obviously, that's a, a, a very, I mean, that's drilled into you. And so it's yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, as a sign of respect to everybody, not just people who may or may not be of a particular higher rank or of a, a higher position than you. It's just yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And so I, I've been in that habit for a long time. And um, it wasn't too far back here. I was in the drive through of a coffee shop. And I, not even thinking about it, I was talking to the young lady at, through, through the microphone there, and I, I had ordered what I was going to get. And uh, she said, will that be everything? And I said, yes, ma'am, it certainly will. And there was a bit of a response that I didn't really understand, and so I just drove forward, and I realized that's not a ma'am. That, that's, that's, uh, that's dude right there. Um, and it got in my head. And now I'm actually to the point <laughs> where I'm, I'm not so sure when I meet people and when I talk to people, is, is me showing a sign of respect by calling them sir or ma'am, going to offend them. Folks, I had one guy at a coffee shop call me bestie because we can't call each other anything anymore without offending someone. And somewhere along the line, this idea of not offending anyone took precedence over the truth. I'm not sure where it happened or how long it's been taking place, but a life lived righteously is a life lived in the truth, folks, regardless of who you may or may not offend. That's just the reality of it. You can't argue with that. I'm, you're not arguing with me. You're not going against me. I love you. 
But you need to understand that righteousness cannot exist apart from truth because the one who is righteousness is the God of all truth, as we found in that verse that we, that we just read. There's another one in James chapter 3. It's a, it's a wonderful section of Scripture. James chapter 3, and if I start in verse 13 there, and I read down through, uh, let's see here, I think it's verse 18. The Bible says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. In other words, the type of wisdom that rejects the truth of a situation the objective truth of a situation the Bible describes as earthly, sensual, and devilish. Folks, that's exactly why we're in the situation we are today as a country, because we are actively rejecting objective, self-evident truth for subjective feelings, calling it truth. And the Bible says it's, it's a devilish thing. Verse 16 says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness, look what it says here, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And so why don't we have any peace? Because the sowing is being done by people who have no interest in righteousness. That's a convicting thing. I look at my own life, and I look at the parts of my life that may not be peaceful, and I'm forced through what we've read today to look at the man in the mirror and say, all right, what have you been controlling without any prayer? What have you been actively uh, decisive in without having uh, any influence from your Heavenly Father on the matter? Because most every single time, not every single time, the areas in my life that aren't peaceful are the areas in my life where I have ignored the righteousness of God. There's one more verse with respect to this idea, and then I'll close it off by showing you one other thought here. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, I really, some of my favorite books is the 1st, 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. They're, they're absolutely my favorite books in the Bible. I say that, um, but there's usually another reason for me to Anyway, 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. The Bible says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. These are the things that righteousness produces, folks. It says, flee youthful lust, but, excuse me, flee youthful lust, but follow 
righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So if I want that peace in my life, if I want the calm, quiet assurance of my Heavenly Father in my life, those peaceable habitations, those sure dwellings, those quiet resting places, they're all and only ever will be exclusively the property of our Heavenly Father. Him, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, is the only thing that produces righteousness, and righteousness is the only thing that produces those qualities that are so void in the life all around us. As I said, and as the Bible says in Proverbs, there's a way that seemeth right to us. That means when we look at things in this life, there's a certain way in which we would walk away thinking, that's it, that's the right decision. And the Bible says more often than not that that way which seems right to us the end of that way, the, the, the end result of it is death. But the end result of righteousness is peace. Peace, folks. A peace that we so desperately want, but so actively reject with almost every decision as a country that we make. Every time we reject the truth of God's word, we reject the peace that that truth provides. Every time we try to convince ourselves that the reality that we would like to create void of God would be a reality that would work, we're rejecting we're rejecting the truth that produces reality. We're living in a fake non-existent place when we choose to reject God. There's no other way to describe it. I want to show you just a couple verses concerning what this world or what what a situation would look like if it rejected righteousness altogether. And then after I show you that from the Bible, I'm just going to simply ask you the question is whether or not this description of a place void of righteousness looks or sounds familiar. I'm going to be almost entirely in Romans for this. Romans chapter 3, 9 through 12 says, what then? Are ye better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jew and Gentile, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's the world that we live in because of the rejection of righteousness. If you stay in that book of Romans, chapter 3, there's another section of Scripture starting in verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God without the laws, or excuse me, the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Did you catch that? Righteousness is by faith in Christ. That's the only way to get it. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past 
through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And so to have the righteousness of Christ is to be justified by Christ, which is the only way to that peace which we so long, we so very long. Romans chapter 4, 1 through 3, the Bible says, What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. You understand, everything that Abraham did in his life, it was the belief in God that was counted to him for righteousness above the works that he did. That's a wonderful thought. That's a wonderful thought. If you jump down to verse 9, it says, um, uh, verse 8, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. This is just when he's talking about um, circumcision or uncircumcision, he's talking about different customs at the time. The point I want to draw your attention to is that it wasn't about any of the customs. It wasn't about any of the laws. It wasn't about any of the works. It's not about what we think. It's not about what we do. It's about who we accept and what we accept concerning that which Jesus Christ did. The last thing I want to share with you is in Romans chapter 5. It's just the first two verses there. The Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his, or excuse me, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's that sure dwelling place. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice in the fact that we have a sure dwelling place, a quiet assurance. But it's only and only ever will be made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to have it because he's the only righteous one. He's the only just one. He's the only one who can bring all those things that we so desperately say we want, but so often actively reject. Folks, as we go into the Christmas season, I certainly hope that you get to spend some time with family. I, I do pray that you get to spend some time in those quiet, restful habitations. I'm very much looking forward to it. I've got a lot of family coming to visit, and um, even with the increased number my family, I'm very blessed, um, believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, active uh, in church service, and so I expect it to be a time of encouragement and refreshment. If I can at all encourage you as we close, folks, uh, the world that we live in is not something to be aspired to as much as it is something to see for what it is. Uh, Christianity is, is, a, is a life lived and it's a life lived in the righteousness of God. And it can't be lived any other way. And based off what we understood today, if I'm going to live the Christian life, I have to have the author of the Christian life 
and the author of the Christian life uses righteousness to work within me peace, quietness, and assurance, and places me into that peaceable habitation, that sure dwelling, and that quiet resting place. Those are the things that I would pray for for you. Those are the things that I seek myself. Uh, And as I've said before, in the pursuit of those, you must be willing to accept the truth that without Christ, you are unable to do it. If you don't mind, I'd like to have a word of prayer with you, and then we will be done. I hope you have a wonderful day. And like I said, if you need to talk to me or if there's any contact you'd like to make, wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. Go to the contact page. My email is directly in there, and you can shoot me your thoughts. I'd love to hear them and uh, and connect with you. Father, I ask that as we close this podcast out, Father, as we close this time in your word out, that you and your name would have been blessed. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk worthy of the title Christian, that you would help us to be bold in the uh, propagation of the Word of God, Father, and that we would truly love you. Amen.